Hi friends, I am so excited you're joining us today for episode 36 of Key Ministry, the podcast. Today, I have a special guest to talk about the importance of having a theology of disability as the starting point of your ministry. His book, Jesus and Disability, shows how Christ was an example of inclusion. I'm excited about our chat today. Welcome, Chris Holsoff, to the show. Hi, Chris. Hi, thank you for having me. It's it's good to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. I'll tell our listeners that you and I have already been chatting for a little while and, and talked about so many different things that this just feels like an extension of what we've already been talking about. So this is going to be absolutely. Fun. So we have been friends on Instagram for a while, but really, this is like the first time we've had a real conversation. So um, I know your passion for theology, for disability. I know your passion for um, 80s music and 80s cars and 80s fashion. Yes, <laughs> all things 80s. Yes, that's so fun. Um, so tell us a little bit about you and your family and uh, your role there at Liberty. Okay, uh, so let's just talk about the 80s thing first. I would love to tell, <laughs> I tell people all the time, I count it one of the blessings of God to have grown up in the 80s uh, and to have spent you know, my high school years in, in the 80s. So that's uh, that's that. And so I, it's a little bit of stall. Anytime I can find something I'm like, oh, I had that or, oh, I, w- yeah. I wanted that and now I can <laughs> afford to have that. Yeah. I usually pick that up. Um, so um, my wife and I, I uh, met my wife here at Liberty. Uh, we have one son. Uh, his name's Connor. He was born with infantile epilepsy. Uh, basically means that he was born uh, having seizures. Uh, we went through couple years of medicine, of uh, diets, of basically everything you could throw at seizures to got, try and get them in control. Um, but all of his bad brain tissue that was causing the seizures was on one side of his brain. And so that gave us the opportunity uh, to have uh, brain surgery that basically would remove uh, one half of his brain, uh, and that would stop or control the seizures. And for the most part, that has he still has a little bit of an aura here and there, but it does he doesn't have the brain situation anymore to kind of spread, and so it doesn't control him. Um, and so that's uh, that's sort of how I got involved um, in disabilities in this disability community, uh, especially with how churches uh, are or are not ministering to those who are disabled. Uh, having, you know, being involved in a number of churches, uh, just seeing what's there, seeing how churches do ministry, whether it's uh, ministry that works in disability circles, whether it doesn't. So uh, that's sort of how I got involved in that. Uh, It led to uh, me working on a doctoral degree that uh, was specifically tied to a theology of disability uh, and the book, uh, Jesus and Disability, um, and it also is kind of what I do here at Liberty University. I teach a class uh, called Theology of Suffering and Disability. Uh, we spend the first six weeks talking about suffering. Uh, why do we suffer? Uh, how do we help our friends suffer? What does the Bible say about suffering? Um, just what is how does what does this look like? The reality of suffering uh, and all that's involved with that in a broken world. Then we spend two weeks talking about the image of God? Uh, What does it mean? How is that related to suffering? And then we use that even to go forward into disabilities. Uh, I use it sort of as the bridge between suffering and disabilities. And we take eight weeks and talk about disabilities, uh, theology of disability, 
good theology is practical theology. So what does it look like to practice theology within the church as far as disability ministry? My undergraduate degree is church ministry. So uh, I approach everything with a sort of church ministry aspect. If it only works in the classroom and it doesn't work in the church, then it's not good theology. Good theology is practical theology. So what does it look like to to live that out outside of the walls of a classroom um, in a church. So it's, it's, it is a neat opportunity. Uh, it is, I, I, sometimes I think it's a little awkward of a title, Theology of Suffering and Disability, because not all suffering is disability. Not all disability is suffering. Um, yeah, that's usually kind of how you see those two topics together. So uh, in the suffering section, uh, will help us as we talk through the disability section of the class. Uh, it's a great class. I think it's a great class at least. Um, and uh, always full of students. And I set the prereqs for the course pretty low so that if any student, either, you know, family member or something, uh, disabilities was something that they were familiar with and wanted to be involved learning about, that the course prerequisites didn't prohibit them from taking it. Same thing with true suffering, someone who's going through something, you know, and they wanted to be a part of the class. I didn't want the prereqs to be so high uh, that they couldn't be a part of the class. So the benefit of doing that is I get students from all over the university uh, as part of the class. And so it is great to uh, I've got I but you get students. I had a student who she was a, a uh, um, architecture major. She was studying architecture. And I asked, why did you take my class? And she said, I want to be able to design, if I'm ever asked, I want to be able to design houses and hospitals and things like that, that are disability friendly, that are disability inclusive. And I think this will help me kind of think that through. Wow. Yeah. She's developing empathy for, yeah, yeah. that's so cool. That's really exciting. Oh, well, it's cool because you have like developed this theology of disability that helps you in ministry, but you and I are both parents and it's important for us as parents to develop a theology of disability too. I mean, it really kind of guides how we see our kids and how we raise them and, and what God's purpose is in our families even. Yeah, to have to to think that through not only as you're communicating it to students, but as you are uh, living it out and, you know, teaching it and talking about it with, uh, with your son and in my case with, with Connor and, uh, and, and helping him, uh, at, you know, wherever he is, what does it look like to understand, uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how to use theological language that somebody like him, uh, with his cognitive impairment, uh, can understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. And I really don't think everybody, it, people who are new to it, whether they're coming at it, they have a child with a new diagnosis or they're in ministry um, and they're thinking about serving people with disabilities for the first time. I don't think they know how much the Bible has to say about disability. I mean, really, Genesis to Revelation, we are seeing God's design and purpose for people. And that includes people with disabilities like throughout all of scripture. And so in your book, Jesus and Disability, you focus on Jesus's interactions with disabled people. Can you tell us why that was kind of the catalyst for your book, why you chose to focus there and what prompted you to write about it specifically? Uh, yeah, so I would, <laughs> my original hope was to kind of do something bigger. 
Uh, and since this is sort of, if you, the first chapter kind of talks about how this is sort of a updated version of a dissertation that I, that I had put together. Uh, and so this, I had to narrow the focus down. And so more specifically, then instead of, okay, what does the Bible say about disabilities? It became, all right, if, if Jesus and the redemptive narrative of scripture is the focus of scripture, if the Old Testament points forward to Jesus Christ, and then when you read the gospels, they're talking about who Jesus Christ is crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, and they're talking about Jesus in that way, then what can we say about Jesus and disability since this redemptive thread runs through it? And so uh, my plan was to take the most amount of content that we had as it relates to Jesus and disability. So I specifically look for the miracle stories that were covered in Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, in the Synoptic Gospels, and then any of the miracle stories uh, that were included in John. But then they had to be healing stories that um, that were healing because of something we would say was a disability. So uh, when Peter's mother-in-law had a fever, that that was not obviously one, but something that we would look at today and go, yeah, we would see that as a disability. So how did Jesus, what was Jesus interaction like that? And then were there any markers in what he did that showed that Jesus was an inclusive leader? Uh, and what is inclusion as far as, uh, as far as a, a biblical perspective of inclusion? And then how did Jesus demonstrate that? Uh, and then how did he pass that on to his disciples so that, as as he left them with the, the the message, the great commission that the churches that they started were disability inclusive churches. Yeah, that's really cool. I love there's so many examples from Jesus's life of his heart for people with disabilities and just kind of changing what had become normal customs at that time, especially when you think about people with disabilities not having access to the temple and not having access to the community that forms around the rhythms of the temple. Um, and so Jesus came and and broke down those barriers. That was one of the really cool things he did. And so I love that you looked at a lot of those situations and and helped us put ourselves in those stories and what we can learn from them. Yeah, historical and cultural context is is real important, and especially when you're studying the scriptures. And I think it's one of the things that we often do is when we read the scriptures, we think of it in terms of our day before we think of it in terms of their day, right? And so what we don't consider is what would it been what would it have been like to be a individual with a disability back in those days and not have the modern conveniences we do not have the wheelchairs and the accessibility and the not have those things and we think about it in terms of of our day we pull the passage and we we immediately kind of yank it out and put it in our day versus going wait what does it look like in their day let me understand that first and then i can talk about what it, it what it what it means to to us today because now i understood the passage as it was to them yeah that's really helpful. So I picked up your book the other day because I was writing specifically on uh, the paralytic man who was lowered through the roof by his friends. And I was kind of drawing some parallels on how ministry leaders can be like those friends, right? Like they're, we're bringing people with disabilities to Jesus. 
And that man was forgiven and healed. And uh, so I was rereading it in scripture and then pulled out your um, chapter on that and really loved some of the the parallels you were making in the history, like giving us the context for all that was going on at that time and all the things that they overcame. Um, so I love that the that ministry leaders today can learn from that and say, we should do everything we can to provide access for people with disabilities. And so what did you learn when you were writing that chapter specifically that just encourages you in ministry? I think one of the things that, that, um, that, that I kind of resonate with out of that chapter is the way in which the way in which these friends were, were all in for helping him, right? Like we are, if you contrast it to say John five with the man who's abandoned by the pool, who has no friends, who has nobody, yeah, he's just there by himself. This guy's the opposite. He's got people. And so rather than just going, Hey, sorry, we're just going to leave you here. Here are here. Here's a guy with some friends who go, no, we're not going to leave you there. We are going to take you to Jesus. Uh, and then not only with the way the friends are, but the way that Jesus approaches him. Uh, the the friendly language that Jesus uses so that, yes, this guy had friends that brought him to Jesus. But when he meets Jesus, he finds a friend in Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way in which Jesus interacts with him uh, is not one of, wow, this is an interruption. This is in the middle of like everything. Like, uh, man, this is no this is Jesus. And he sees him. And you think you've got four friends. Now you got one more. I'm a friend, too. Uh, and the way in which Jesus interacts with him. And I think you see. Um, you can talk about, and it it might be a little bit of a stretch, but you can talk about accessibility first, right? Like these guys, whether their homeowner liked it or not, they just made their house accessible for this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But what they found is that not only were the friends acceptable, but Jesus was acceptable. Right. And so I oftentimes, what I think happens in church is we're one of two. We may be accessible. We've got this most amazing, you know, we've got the ramps and we've got the parking and we've got the elevators and we, you know, we got the, the bathroom stall. I mean, like we are, we got the blue sticker stuck to the window. We are an accessible building, but the people inside aren't acceptable. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, so the building is says the, the building says, come on in to individuals who have a disability. But once they get in there, they find that the people in there are not acceptable uh, towards those who have a disability, or it's the opposite. The people are acceptable, but they just don't know what to do as it relates to accessibility. And I think to some extent, you can look at the story and say, this has the earmarks of both accessibility and acceptability. I want to work so that there is accessibility so that my friend can see Jesus. And in Jesus, you find except you find friends first that are acceptable of this man's condition. Uh, they're not leaving him by himself. But then you find in Jesus not only someone who is acceptable and, and not acceptable as in like okay, I guess, but as in friend. Uh, and so there, there, there. It I when you think of two areas that you could kind of center church ministry around and talking about accessibility and acceptability, you see that I think in this story. Yeah, I love that. As I was thinking about it, I was kind of thinking about the age of those men, you know, and I I pictured him as like you teach young people. My older son is 17. Like I could see 
my son David coming up with this plan, like, yeah, like we're going to cut a hole through a roof and we're going to, you know, whereas my husband in his mid forties <laughs> is not coming up with that plan. Right. And so I just, yeah. love, I, I just love the, like the optimism, the overcoming of obstacles, like these friends. And that's what kind of makes me think that I wonder if they were, they had been a friend group and some kind of accident had happened and like you said, they didn't turn their back on the friend and then they they bring him to Jesus. And man, I just love that picture of friendship. And then you're right, like finding an even better friend. I mean, as good as those friends were, Jesus is an even better friend to us. Yeah. He finds that and he says, your sins are forgiven and get up and walk. And so he finds everything he's looking for in his friend Jesus and in that new relationship. Yeah, and he and I would suggest he finds more than he was looking for. I, yeah. you know, he finds not only uh, not only physical healing, but he finds spiritual healing as well. Uh, and the way in which that spiritual healing sort of uh, is a marker for those around to go, this is the Messiah, right? This is, and it's one of the reasons why I like John's gospel because John is so very clear. These things that Jesus are doing, they're not miracles; they're signs. And if you right. pay attention you can't miss that this is the one that the prophets told us about that this is the one uh and i always i teach the gospel of john class here on campus and i always call john the neon gospel because you know where matthew and mark and luke are painting in primary colors of reds and blues and and i don't even know if those are primary colors but <laughs> painting in those primary colors John is painting in like neon pink and day glow orange and fluorescent green. He yeah. wants you to go, look, this is Jesus. He is the one we've been waiting for. He is the promised one. He is the one the prophets wrote about. Uh, and he doesn't want you to miss it. And so where all the other gospel writers are like, wow, these are miracles. John's like, nah, these are signs. These are yeah. way more than miracles. These are signs. And so you see even bits and pieces of that in the other gospels and the synoptic gospels where, uh, you know, this, this dual healing of both physical healing and spiritual healing is, is designed not only so this man knows who Jesus is, but the religious leaders can't help but now go, okay, he heals somebody and he forgives sins, but only God can forgive sins. Right. So what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Cause even in that story, the Pharisees are like, they're grumbling, they're thinking, and Jesus calls them out. And he says, "What? which is harder to say your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? And and he really doesn't answer it. Like he kind of leaves that floating, you know, and, yeah. and for us to think, well, which is harder? Is it is it healing or is it forgiving sins? And because it's a sign and not just a miracle, it's a sign of, of his power over sin, over disability, and and over death eventually is we'll see his power over everything. So yeah, and it's this little inbreaking of the kingdom, right? Where you can see uh, it's not it's not Jesus suspending something. It's the inbreaking of the kingdom, so that the order that once was you can see it fully restored. And so it's even in that story, it's our glimpse to uh, our our eternal home where disabilities isn't a part of the picture anymore. And so you even in these healing these these healing miracles that involve disabilities it's it's our opportunity to catch just a glimpse of what our eternal home looks like that will be disability free yeah yeah it's exciting 
Well, another favorite of mine, both as a parent and a ministry leader, is John 9. You talked about John being neon. Uh, when Jesus and his disciples encountered the man who was born blind, and many of us are familiar with that passage because the disciples asked Jesus why he was blind, if it was the fault of the man or of his parents. And Jesus responded that it wasn't because of sin, but it was so the works of God would be displayed in him. And so I'm excited to tell our listeners that you are going to be the keynote speaker at an online conference that's happening in February called All Access. And it's a conference that uh, we have down here in the Houston area. And every other year we do it online. Um, and this is an online year. And you are going to be our keynote speaker. And you're going to be speaking on that passage from John 9 in your keynote address. Yeah, John 9 and John 10 um, are, I love the gospel of John and there's so much in John, but and uh, John, especially John 9, especially the guy in John 9, I tell my students all the time, I man, I hope that the, because we don't have his name, right? Like he doesn't have a name. So I'm hoping that when I get to heaven, that he has a hello, my name is sticker on it because <laughs> yeah. I want to meet this guy, yeah. right? And he's such the opposite of the guy in John 5 because the guy in John 5, Every time the guy in John 5 speaks, it's just excuses. Everything he says is an excuse. This guy, he doesn't see, he's, he, he defends Jesus even before he sees him, yeah. right? Like Jesus, and I think it's strategic the way that Jesus heals him by sending him away from him, from Jesus to go wash and then to wash his eyes and then they come back. So he's not seen Jesus at all. And as a matter of fact, you almost even get the sense that he doesn't even remember what Jesus sounds like, because when Jesus catches up with him in the temple and they have this you know, discussion about uh, the son of man and the son of David and who Jesus is, and they have that discussion, he doesn't he, tell me who he is, yeah. right? Like he, he, he hasn't seen him. So that makes sense. But even in this discussion now he has with Jesus, he's still, oh, wait, this sounds like the guy. Yeah, he still doesn't, but he's already defended him before the religious leaders. And so there's something about the way that this guy defends Jesus without even seeing Jesus that and I I don't know who the first apologist is, but in my mind, it's this guy. Yeah, right? oh, like no, no. he's the first apologist in his defense because he goes to the religious leaders and he walks through like, OK, let's talk about what we can agree on. All right. Can we agree that? And he'll list three or four things that we can agree on based on the scriptures. Yes. Okay. So based on that, the only conclusion we can draw about Jesus is this. And they go, oh, we're cornered. And yeah. then their only response is now to attack him. And they go, yeah. you were steeped in sin. And in some sense, they're answering Jesus, the question the disciples asked, right? You were born in sin. And, and so they just attack him. And, and it's Jesus who will then not only meet the man he'll pursue the man and meet him in in the temple but not only will he meet him but then he will uh, also then address what the religious leaders did and i think that's one of the connections we often miss is that john 9 and john 10 go together right there's no unfortunately for us we get a giant number 10 yeah. in the middle of this in this thing but it really goes john 9 1 through about 10 25 ish somewhere around the 10 21 i think is where it ends and that's the whole that's the whole narrative that's the that's the discourse right and so this the discussion that follows that we're real familiar with the good shepherd discourse why is it that jesus gives the good shepherd discourse it isn't because he looks around at the crowd and goes wow uh what am i going to talk about today huh 
Looks like we got some shepherds out here. So let's talk about sheep and shepherds. Yeah, yeah. He gets to it because he he is fully aware of what the religious leaders did. And rather than caring for the sheep in Israel like they were supposed to do, they're just like the bad shepherds that Ezekiel warns about. And he says, look, you guys aren't good shepherds, you're bad shepherds, and here's the difference. And so then he, he explores that theme with them, and then he draws it in even further and says, not only that, but I am the good shepherd. And I think when we look at that, we can draw um, some uh, some points of emphasis in how Jesus talks about himself as a good shepherd, and then what that means for and I talk about it in terms of disability leadership, but I think it's just in terms of church leadership. What does it look like to be a disability effective leader? But it's also what does it look like to be a just a, 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 a empathetic church leader? And I think you see that in how Jesus uh, frames out the Good Shepherd discourse as a response to the religious leaders who, uh, rather than caring for the man, just cast him out and said, no, get out of here. And they throw him out of the synagogue. And he's got no, even that in itself is a completely, like, if you think of being thrown out of a church, you go, okay, well, you know, we've, there's like five others in my okay. town, so I'm good. But they don't have that. Like you get thrown out of a synagogue. There goes your religious life. There goes your social life. Uh, there goes, if you got a business, there goes your business life. Right. So there's so much involved. And so rather than them celebrating what Jesus do has done and embracing the work of Jesus, they just throw the guy out and say, now we're done with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. I think we can all learn from the empathetic leader, you know, and learn how to shepherd people well, whether we're children's ministers or disability ministers or head pastors, we can all learn from Jesus' ex example of being the good shepherd and, and showing that pattern for us. So the tickets for the online conference actually go on sale today. So you can learn more about it at allaccesshtx.com. The link will be in our show notes. And uh, my podcast co-host, Beth and Catherine, and then uh, Key Ministries founder and president, Steve, Dr. G, Steve, they'll all be breakout speakers. And so we're really excited about the opportunity for this conference and that everybody listening uh, can show up because they don't even have, I mean, I love travel. I love being in Houston in February, right? Like uh, we can still go to the beach or go to the pool if we wear enough layers while we're doing it. But um so I love to have people here on the years that we have it in person, but this way nobody has to travel and they still get to hear all of the good content that will be involved. So we're excited about it. Excited to have you as the keynote speaker. I'm excited to be a part of it. Yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be really fun. All right, Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. It was uh, a helpful, edifying conversation. Hopefully it has encouraged everybody listening as much as it has encouraged me today. Well, thank you. I enjoy being here. I enjoy our discussions. Uh, I enjoy the time that uh, the the first time we've actually gotten to talk to each other through a camera and, and uh, through a computer versus uh, just on Instagram. I know. I know. Instagram is pretty fun, though. Like, yeah, the first time I was talking about you to somebody else and I didn't know how to say your last name, I actually called you Chris Hasselhoff, like from David Hasselhoff which felt like a good tie-in to like the 80s nostalgia 
that you bring like it I think in my mind all of those kind of went together and I was like oh that's it right and I was like no that's <laughs> just well if you look at my Instagram name that's sort of how that came about because we had a I, there was a, a guy on campus uh, who worked in one of the offices here and he always called me the Hoff Oh, uh, funny. That and so that's exactly how that happened. He uh he took my phone the one because he said, You are you on Instagram? I'm like, no, I'm not on Instagram. I'm I'm barely on any social media. Yeah. And so he took my phone and created the Instagram account. So it looks like it's uh Das Hoff is what it is. It's basically because he called me the Hoff. So that's how that <laughs> so you weren't too far off. That's, <laughs> that's exactly uh that's exactly how it happened. That brain pathway was working with the same logic that your friend. That's right. All right. Well, we'll put your Instagram handle in the show notes so people can find you there and uh, connect with you. And and especially so they can see more about the classes that you teach and all that you have going on. That's just real. I love when your students uh, comment on some of the posts that you do and, and you can just see and tell what they're learning and how they're growing. And and so even just their comments that encourage you also encourage me because I'm like, they're getting it like this next generation they're getting it. And it just is really energizing for me and exciting. Yeah, it's, it's super encouraging uh, to see a group of students uh, who, who are excited for what does it look like to uh, care for and minister to uh, and create a community of faith where those who are disabled aren't marginalized and on the outside, but are active participants in the full body life of the church. Yeah. Yeah, that's really this new generation there. I mean, I'm just so optimistic about the world that they're going to create for our kids, for my kids yes. and kids that are teenagers. So, well, friends, I hope you'll get a copy of Chris's book, Jesus and Disability, wherever you buy books. We'll have the Amazon link in our show notes at keyministry.org slash podcast. So you can grab a copy there in um, thank you for listening and make sure that you hit subscribe so that next week's podcast with Beth Golick will show up on your phone uh, next Thursday and you can learn from her as well. So thanks again for your time, Chris. Thank you for having me.